accomplishing you want to achieve more in your life, whether that's in business, property, your health and fitness, your personal life, every part of your life, this podcast hopefully will help you achieve more, do more, and get to where you want to be. So just before the episode starts, I have just launched a new website called terryblackburnproperty.com. On there, I've got all of the services that I offer. So one-to-one coaching in business, property, time management, goal setting, sales, persuasion, loads of different things on there. I've got some online courses, some one-to-one coaching courses as well. So please have a look on there. Really appreciate your support. And if you want to get involved, you want some more specific help from me, you want some more one-to-one coaching and, and assistance from me to help you to get to where you want to be, it's all on there also got a couple of books on amazon and audible the be a lion which has won multiple awards worldwide now and the power of peas is the new one all about the different p words profit power perspective purpose etc i hope you'll really enjoy one last thing from me if you enjoy these podcasts and you benefit from them you learn from them all i ask is that you share it with your friends and family or someone who you think the episode is relevant to you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that would massively help. The more shares we get, the bigger guests I can get on the podcast, the more people we can help and the more I can grow the show. So thank you so much. Get in touch if you like what you're listening to and don't just take notes, take action. Welcome Terry Blackburn to the Scottish Property Podcast. How are you? I'm always good, my friend. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks very much for joining us. I'm joined as, as always with Nick Ponty here. How you doing, Terry? Hello. Good to meet you. I've seen a bit of you on social media, so looking forward to hearing your story. Oh, thank you, mate. No, likewise. Yeah, I mean, let's, 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 let's kick us off then. Let's tell the listeners that don't know much about you, you know, what you did before you got started in property, what was the aspirations to get involved in property and, and, and where did it all start for you? Yeah, I mean, it's a long story, so I'll give you the short version. Um, but yeah, I was uh, a builder straight from school, although these hands are far too soft for doing like manual work. But 16 and 19, I was a builder. Uh, 19, I got into sales, into financial services, um, hit the ground running, started making decent money at age 19. So, you know, even back then, I'm 34 now, was making 80, 90 grand when I was 19. So that's a lot of money in the Northeast back then. When you're 19, I'm giving it all this. You know, giving it the big in, as you do. Um, but start making really good money. Um, worked for two American companies. And it was probably when I was 21, I bought my first, 21, 22, bought my first property. For no other reason that I just thought, I've got a few quid. I need to do something with this money instead of spunking it on the weekend. Um, made loads of mistakes at the start. Set up my own, I set up my first business when I was 24. And I exited that last year. So that was the largest life insurance brokers in the UK. So I did really well off that financially. And along the way, been buying properties, started off with buy-to-lets, went to HMOs, went to Airbnbs, went to small hotels, bought a larger hotel, bars, restaurants, a glamping site, a cafe, construction business, letting agency. There's quite a few different things, podcasts, books. There's quite a few things that I do. That's plenty um, to pick any then. That's the, um, that's the whistle stop to our bit, yeah. So, um, and that brings us to today. So, what was um, the financial services? Did that give you a good insight into into property and investing? Is that what kind of sparked that interest and in, and in, in growing? A little bit, yeah. Um, I mean, for, I don't know why I thought property was a good idea at the time because I never done any education, I never read any books or anything at this point. So 
So I just started buying buy to lets cash that were like low value, 14 grand, 16 grand, 17 grand purchase prices. So you can imagine the type of properties that they were. Um, and in financial services, yeah, I started to then meet landlords who were worth a few quid and started to do the mortgages for them and the life insurance for them. So that, that spiked me interest a little bit further. Um, but yeah, financial services, it's, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard business to be involved in. Um, but yeah, I did love it. I did love it. I didn't love it towards the end, I must admit, but, um, but I did certainly love it at the start. How much did you sell the business for? <laughs> I've signed an NDA, so I can't, <laughs> cannot that idea. Um, no, that's it, interesting. Yeah. Did that, I mean, did that give Seven you the capital, capital effectively, did that give you the capital to start investing in the property by selling that, that business? No, no, I mean, that, that was only last year. All so, right. Um, so, yes, I've been buying property as I was over 40-ish units before I sold that. So um, I've invested a lot of that in the bigger hotel and some other projects I'm doing. But, um, but you know, I've always made good money since I was pretty much 19. So I feel very fortunate in that sense. Um, mm -hmm. I've always been pretty good with money um, and just slowly got into the bigger projects as, well, as time went on. But have you progressed slowly up those projects? Like, did you start off with buy, like single buy to let units first before you moved on to HMO and before you moved on to the next the next strategy? Yeah, de definitely. And I, and I think for any listener, I I believe that's the that's the safest way to to do it, and and probably the best way to do it. You hear about these people going straight into huge twenty unit conversions for the first deal, don't you? Buying care homes and churches and all this mad stuff. Like that that's a in my opinion that's a risky way to do it. I just I just done buy to let because I thought it was a good idea. But then when I started to learn a bit more, read a few books, I thought, you know, there's there's different strategies I can do here. So I went, I went into HMOs, got a good amount of those before I went to anything else. So I've always kind of done one strategy for a little while before I jumped to the next one. Um, just instead of trying to do everything all at the same yeah. time, a lot of people do, I try to perfect one before I went to the next one. So. And do you feel do you feel like you kind of cut your teeth and learn a lot of your lessons on on building the single unit portfolio before you move on to the HMOs? Yeah, I mean, I, I bought a property blind at auction. Um, I buy to let, which ended in disaster. I bought three really low value properties in terrible areas, DSS tenants. You know, there was a attempted murder in one of the properties. There was multiple break-ins, drug dealers. There was loads of mad stuff. But I didn't know what I was doing. It was just hard money, so I thought it was a good idea. Um, and yeah, so definitely learned a lot of lessons there. Sold them low value ones, got into hundred ish grand properties, buy to lets that is. Got a good amount of those, then went to HMO. So I think I've done it the right way. And I haven't really lost a big amount of money on any deal. Um, I think it's a good way of starting out, like buying these low hanging fruits. Like I know that, you know, a lot of people look at yield in these lower value properties, but I'm much the same mindset as you, like buy quality stock. But I think you only get to that point once you've done it for a number of years where you feel like fuck I need to buy quality stock I can't keep buying all this crap that keeps giving me headaches do you feel like that was the right progression as well definitely definitely I think um most people when they get into property they go after the low value ones first don't they because they think it's the least amount of money that they have to spend it's the easiest there's less barriers to entry buy the low value ones but that there's a reason why they're cheap and you get what you pay for yeah. um and most people do realize that and then go to the nicer ones with time um and you know if i could have 100 hmos or 100 buy to lets i think i'd have 100 bad good quality buy to lets because the amount of hassle that you get from hmos all really low-end stock mm. 
is quite a lot higher than that middle of the road buy to let. Not the high end, but not the low end either. You know, if you get tenants who are like 40 odd, you know, no disrespect to, to these tenants, you know, if they're 40, 50 odd and they can't buy their own property, they're probably going to stay long term. Mm-hmm. Look after it. They've got a couple of kids, one or both of them are working. They're good tenants who are going to look after the place and stay for years, cause you minimal hassle, minimal maintenance. And if you can get a hundred properties like that, you're laughing really because that that is as close to passive, apart from social housing, as you'll as you'll probably get. Was was your strategy very different then coming up with the single units because you had your your financial services business in the background bringing in a lot of cash? So I'm assuming you never really did the property from for cash flow was more for parking the 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 capital into assets and letting the assets grow up in value as well. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, a little bit of each for, for mm-hmm. the, I've never really paid myself anything from any of the property businesses. It's been very much let them cash flow positively and then build up that cash flow for more purchases. Um, but the nicer about it lets you do, you know, the three, four bed semis and detached, you do typically get good capital growth on those mm-hmm. as well. So it's kind of both every couple of years, majority of them I'll refinance, pull some money out, put that straight back into another deal. Um, so yeah, that that's why I prefer Battlelets if if I'm honest. And you're investing yeah. mainly around uh, the northeast end, like Newcastle area and stuff like that. Yeah, pretty much everything is northeast. So Newcastle, Northumberland, Durham, and I've got one small hotel in North Wales and a couple of Battlelets in North Wales, but the rest of it's um, seems to be a quite a hot spot at the moment for investing because obviously all your kind of um, you know. Landlords that stay in the south and London and all that are all kind of getting out and going kind of north. But obviously, like from what I read, like Manchester and Liverpool, you can't really get good deals there anymore. So a lot of people are piling over into round about the northeast. Is that still quite is it still quite competitive there or how's the local it, it, Yeah, I mean it seems that way for sure. Uh, and a lot of people think going up north is even though like lads from London think the North is like Leeds. <clears throat> well, I mean, me, us three definitely know that's not the North. Uh, it's Newcastle and Scotland. Um, but but yeah, you know, you typically get better yields um, up in the northeast in Scotland. You, you, you do. And you still get good capital growth. Look at what's going to happen with the Saudis buying Newcastle. Like, got mm-hmm. Champions League football now. You know, I do think that's going to have a positive impact on the market. And I think the amount of development that's going into Newcastle city centre there's things popping up everywhere. There's cranes everywhere. Like it's it's a good sign for the city, and I do think we'll see more capital growth. Well, judging by the accent that you grew up there, anyway, did you? Yeah, 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 yeah. I grew up in a place called Throckley, um, which is a little little bit rough uh, to say the least. Um, but yeah, that's where I grew. Up. Have you got a proper rags to riches story then? Have you? How was your? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of people that have had it worse than me, but we had not, I grew up until I was about 10, maybe, in like a, a block of flats, like a high rise um, in Dockley, and uh, we didn't have no money whatsoever. And um, yeah. and yeah, I haven't been gifted you've, anything. You've not, had it, you've not had it handed to you. That's good to know. Um, so, like, I mean, where does your portfolio sit at the moment in terms of, you know, numbers? We're just looking for a clickbait headline here. So, <laughs> in terms of like you know you've got all i mean i just did a quick look on company's house and you've got a heck of a lot of charges to your name mate so you've got a lot of properties <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah what's your portfolio look like at the moment and um, there is i mean this is bad i don't actually know i mean i think <laughs> you get past the point you get to the point where you stop looking at the number of units 
and you still look at that like up until 10 it was like all i wanted was 10 properties and you focus on the number then it was 20 then when you get past that i honestly lost count but it normally floats around i mean i sold 11 properties last year i've sold two this year why was that between 35 and 40. um the reason i sold 11 last year um 10 of them was in a jv with an old jv partner um and we just decided to part ways um i've sold two this year or three this year and simply down to rates so they were buy to let and it was a negative cash flow situation um when i went a new rates so i ain't in the business of losing money so i was like well i'll sell them that that's a lesson in itself there a lot of people seem to have this mindset of hold your properties forever but i'm not emotionally tied to any property their investments at the end of the day like half of them i can't remember where they are what they even look like inside because i haven't really been half of them so it, they're just investments and if they're not making you any money then you can't solely rely on capital growth i think that's a foolish way to to look at it you know there's some people that do that um but yeah I, I'll, I'll sell purely based on numbers i'm quite intrigued to talk about the kind of mindset of going on a bigger and bigger deal so you, you touched on hotels and and different ventures that are getting larger and larger do you think there's a mindset shift where you go from that buying 10 20 properties where you start scaling where you start you know thinking bigger going for bigger projects going for i don't know, portfolios or, or or your hotel projects you mentioned um yeah i mean i do think some people have just got it in them in terms of this growth mindset and i, I think some people can learn to be like that or be mentored to be like that for some reason or another like even when i was 19 getting into sales i remember going up to people who'd been in the industry 25 years and i was in like the first month saying i'll do more than you i just i don't know why i just had that in as well it was a little bit of cockiness arrogance i, I don't know i just had it in as like i'm going to be the, the best life insurance salesman in financial services i said i'll be the biggest firm in the uk and we've done that so i've got something in is that i just want to keep going up the levels so maybe it's part of that i like being challenged i like challenging myself um and yeah i, I do believe progress is happiness like if you're not mm -hmm. progressing doing new things or or achieving new heights or even in your fitness if you're not getting better at your fitness or in your relationship or better as a parent or better as in business i do believe that you're you're not as happy as if you were progressing more so i think mm -hmm. that's yeah, that's yeah if you're not like evolving if you're not constantly growing you're kind of you're almost dying you're almost going back to where you're just not plateauing or almost going on autopilot definitely and I'm, I'm at my happiest when i'm setting up new things and growing and achieving new things that's when i'm in my happiest place so so i'm just going to keep doing that and keep challenging myself and always make my decisions based on numbers still um and always, yeah like, just some levels in due diligence sense. before you talk about the kind of in-depth and the, the like the hotel deals what was the difference in you know the, the due diligence processing and working at the numbers based on you know the single buy to let unit you added to your portfolio Fifty years ago, compared to now, we're doing a hotel deal. Yeah, I mean, nearly everything I've ever done is BRR. Certainly, sort of from deal five or six onwards to now, it's all BRR. Whether that's a buyer to let, buying it, doing up, refinancing, and renting out, or it's a HMO that's run down. We're, we're buying, we're doing it up, adding bedrooms, adding en suites, refinance, money's out. Same with Airbnb, same with the small hotels. So then, you know, I've got a couple of like eight and nine beds. They're the, they were the same. It was run down, tired stock, done it up, refinanced, then, then we're off. And then the bigger hotel last year, 
So that's 17 bedrooms, one restaurant. It's got two houses on site and it's got about half an acre at the back with planning. That's the same thing. That, mm. That's the same thing. It was, we bought for 700, spent 200 on it. It got valued at 1.35. And that's oh, without doing anything, anything at the land, with the land. Um, so it's, it's all just been the all really in, in the same so in concept, like you pull money back out of that deal, plus you've got the free land to develop on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So to answer your question, it's kind of it's the numbers are relatively the bigger numbers in terms of monetary value, but the principle is the same, the concept is the same. And I like I, I'm not scared of doing a bit of work. Um, not that not that because I used to be a builder, because I was useless at being a builder, but um, I'm not scared of work like every every project that I do needs work, um, to say the least. So, uh, so yeah, that, that's kind of the way I look at it. Just simplify. Too many people complicate property, and I don't believe it needs to be complicated. I don't believe you need these monster spreadsheets. Like, you can simplify it and just look at your numbers. I kind of fag pack it, you know, numbers calculations almost, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and I haven't really lost any 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 real money doing it that way. So that, that's the way I do it, and it, it seemed to work. How how do you sort of your market research for like stuff like hotels, or I think you mentioned the was it the holiday site as well? Yeah, yeah. So um, the hotel that I bought had um had accounts, but they were they were doing terrible. You know, it was only doing a couple of hundred grand um from the rooms, but it was really run down. It was ran terribly. They closed. I think they closed five or six months of the year. It was like a lifestyle business for the old owner. So when you view something like that, you need accounts. You obviously look at the property value and the potential that it's got. You look at some comps, which are quite difficult on hotels. It's not like just looking at right move for buy to let comps. But then you look at the accounts, you look at the potential to um, systemize things to reduce costs down and you look at the potential for growth and how it's ran. That was just ran really terribly. Um, and it was only open at the half of the year and it was ran by people who didn't really know what they were doing. You knew you could have value in it by the way it was run and the and the, the end user. Yeah. <laughs> what, what about the finance section? How do you do the finance section of, of a project like that if you're stepping from single units, HMOs into a hotel? Is that on bridging development financing and is the numbers based on a bricks and mortar value or is it a hotel turnover value? Yeah, so so this was a, a real challenge on the exit for this one. I'll tell you about this. So the obviously the current state of commercial lending, if you know much about it, is, is horrific at the moment. So uh, we bought with a bridge uh, last July. Um, so it was a 700k purchase. So we put 30% down, um, spent 200 on it. But I was thinking, obviously, when I bought it, July 22, rates were fine. Rates were really low, right? There was loads of lenders in the market. But then when we came to refinance that only last, it was just right on the the, the 12 month point of the bridge because we tried to refinance in January and we couldn't. So it literally took us five months to try and get this refinance sorted. I'm on a bridge and loan, terrible rate. I'm getting whacked on bridge and rate. And basically all the commercial lenders said, well, you need two years accounts, which I didn't have. So I was like, so I managed to get an angel to put in, do first charge um at 65 percent um so you know they, they were putting six 600 grand in um which was the That's challenge so um was that from yeah, one investor one investor yeah 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 that cleared off the bridge and the development can it cost them well yeah. left you some money in the deal but at least cleared off that that, that yeah. expensive lending yeah so it wasn't full money out so the lending was 
it will put 30% down, but by the time all the fees and the bridging and the exit fees and all that was added to it, the loan was 520 when I was trying to exit. Um, bear in mind, it's worth 1.35, so it's a pretty low loan yeah, to value for anybody. Uh, we refinanced at 600, so I got 80 grand back um, and obviously paid the bridge off, and that's 8%, which you'll never get in commercial lending in mm. 2023. This, I mean, we're getting something with no accounts. We were getting caught with 12%, 13%, mad arrangement fees. We're getting charged some horrific products. Um, it's funny, man. I, a lot of people we've interviewed in the podcast recently, including myself, I've been in similar positions where the rates have changed so quickly, but you've been involved in a big project that you've done the numbers and the due diligence based on by historic numbers and they've just changed so much. How how do you think that's going to affect the economy and or I suppose the landscape going forward? Is, do you think you, you've, you know, you've done the numbers, I suppose, to mitigate the risk and you've still got that nice chunk of equity sitting in it, but do you think it'll affect a lot of other businesses and a lot of other developers that are maybe a bit more inexperienced going forward? Yeah, de definitely. I mean, surely it's got to start to get better soon. Um, that's me being optimistic. But, um, but yeah, it's got to get better soon and it will get better soon but right now i do think you know a lot of property investors came into the market since 2020 didn't they? you've probably seen that on social media every man and his dogs now a property investor or property coach of some sort on, on instagram um but a lot of the people that entered property at that point they don't know what it's like they only knew the rosy times the good the good times with really low rates i think any of those people that have maybe done a conversion or sitting on bridges now you know, they, they might be in trouble. I, I do think that inexperienced people who haven't ran the numbers properly because they thought rates are always going to be good, I think those people are potentially going to be in, in, in some difficulty. Um, I suppose it goes back to your point you made earlier about the the natural progressive steps. People want to try and jump straight to the big things, but I'm assuming because you've got the background portfolio and the assets there that it's given you credibility to attract a, a, an investor for 600 grand that goes, you know what, we'll take charge over it and we'll exit because they know you've got you're credible, you've got the track record, you've got the experience and you've got an, an asset base behind you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It definitely becomes easier to raise money and to, to do bigger deals. The more experienced you are, you can't skip those reps. It's just like you can't you, you can't add muscle without doing the reps at the gym. You, you can't get to a good stage of property without doing the reps and, and learning your craft. And just talk to us about that. Um, so, sorry, mate. Just talk to us about that going out and getting that six hundred k because, like, you know, that's not an easy thing to do. So, where was it that that, that person that invested in you got the, the kind of confidence, and was that a hard job uh, to convince them to give you that money? No, I wouldn't say it was. It was hard to convince them. No, but I would say sometimes when you backs up against the wall, um, you, you it's it's fight or flight, isn't it? It's that kind of thing. I, I had to find someone to do that deal because like what were my options and, uh, and where did they come million. from in the end was it through social media contacts yeah. or was it through family no, or? it was it was a, it was another investor i know it was his friend um so i reached out to everybody pretty well not everybody but a lot of people that i knew with money showed them the deal we had a commercial valuation on the property at 1.35 only i was even trying to do a like for like loan at 520 so, you know, that's less than 50% loan to value. It was a pretty low risk loan. I uh, offered collateral, offered loads of different things. I offered charges and sort of things, which I didn't need to do in the end. But just when, sometimes when you've got no other option and you've, or you've got to explore all of your options, don't just go to one bank and take what they offer you. 
like I, I like to have all the information in front of us in order to make an informed decision. So I got all the banks who would look at it, their offering. And then I went out to people who are new with money. Said, I've got a proposal for you. You know, this is the deal. You know, looking for first charge security. I'll give you X, Y, Z, personal guarantees and all of that. Um, and yeah, after a good few conversations with people, this guy managed to, to, to do it. So it's a good deal for him as well, though. At the end of the day, 8% is a, is a good deal for him. And it's secured against the first, it's first charge against your property. It's pretty secure, under 50% loan to value. So, you know, it's pretty. You got pretty skin sick. in the game as well. You got your own cash in this as well. And oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely. Where in, in a good few hundred thousand, a good few hundred yeah. thousand, yeah. That obviously yeah. helps, doesn't it? I mean, when he's yeah. looking at it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And going back to your point, you know, I've showed him everything else that I've got, all the backlets, HMOs, the other businesses I'm involved in. So it's not like I'm just, you know, some guy who's just got one property in one hotel. It, it, yeah. It's it's de-risked what, a lot. By, what are you yeah. really excited about out your out your property portfolio? What what kind of is really like working for you at the moment? And you're thinking, that was a really good deal. Like I wouldn't mind a few more of them because obviously you've got quite a diverse kind of portfolio. You know, like you said about the glamping, the glamping sites, the hotels, the HMOs, and all the rest of it. What's your kind of what's what gets your appetite going for for more in the property stuff? Um, I mean, HMOs are really good at the moment for cash flow. Um, the buy-to-lets aren't really tickling me fancy, you could say, at the moment yeah. because of the rates. Um, but yeah, HMOs are good at the moment. I've got a couple of more those going through. Finished a refurb on one a couple of months back. Um, those are doing good. Service accommodation, fell out of love a little bit with service accommodation, the Airbnbs. I've just found that this year, I know other operators and other investors I know who've got SA, they found this as well. The demand is definitely down, certainly across my rural stuff. Um, I've had to knock nightly rates down a little bit. So, and it is we're, obviously we're getting hit with their uh, licensing and uh, in Scotland at the moment. Mm. So oh, that's really? certainly affecting that market. Mm. I, I think I think the whole thing is going to get regulated soon. Mm. I think the whole UK will. I think it's 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 good in a way because it, it it'll probably make some of the amateurs sell off, but it yeah. doesn't make it any easier when they're putting a lot of red tape, even around the people that know what they're doing. It is quite annoying. If you want, yeah, to, know what's, if you want to know what's coming to England, you just have to look north into Scotland because we're, exactly. we're always one step ahead of the game in terms of making it hard. Yeah, how much they stick the fucking knife to you? Yeah, basically, hopefully they don't do rent caps like they did with you guys. Bloody hell. Um, We've got 6% ADS now. You've got what? 6% additional dwelling supplement. You guys are still only on three. Is that what you are on? Six percent there. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah. But but I must I must admit, right? I know this is a property podcast, right? But I must admit, like my love for property has definitely been dampened a bit in the past 12 months. I don't know if, if you guys are the same, but but it definitely has. I mean, I've always been more of a businessman than a property man, you, mm. you could say, because I've made my money in business and I've got multiple businesses. I'll always have businesses. And my view at the minute is I'm not buying as many, you know, I've, I've bought over 10 units for the past four or for maybe even five years in a row up until this year. And I won't buy 10 units this year uh, or more because I'm just focusing on the businesses and ramping up the income in the businesses, being quite selective on what I buy and getting my earned income in personally and the businesses up as high as possible. Because sometimes I believe you have to pivot and I'm not, 
can't just go and find all the battlets that I used to find in this current market because of the rates. I'd still buy some HMOs, but you know, managing them is is, is a challenge. I know um, Nick's sitting with about 100 keys behind him. Uh, we talked a little about our letting agencies earlier. Um, it, it, it's a hard gig. It's a great business, but the day to day running is challenging. We manage all my properties in house. My team do. Um, and that's a challenge. So, so yeah, me love for property has been dampened a little bit. It'll come back. I've just, I've just thrown my team out of the room at the moment. They're all hiding behind that door. But I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> it's just on the, on the kind of the management side that you're just touching on there as well. Like, what made you bring it in the house and 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 manage them? Did you, did you outsource everything to a lighting agent? And at what point did you say, do you know what, I've got enough, and we'll we'll bring this in house and we'll we'll develop our, our own members' staff. Yeah, so so in 2019, I'd done a load of deal sourcing, um, and I recruited a lady called Pam uh, to come on board to effectively manage all of the investors and manage all the trades on all these projects. She had a letting agency background; she'd been a letting agent for 20 years, so she came on board and a fantastic job. Done all of it, helped with all the stuff that I wanted her to, and she was like, "Why don't you manage all of these, all of my own properties in house?" And it kind of just transpired from that. I said, as long as you're going to run it for us, I'm not too involved. Um, and that's kind of what happened. And then we took everything on. I took all the SA management in-house, which will half it will push back now to Sykes just because it's just a ball ache. Out of hours calls and people locking themselves out and parties. And it was just it, it was just a, a headache. In your in the kind of business life and in your businesses, what you what gets you you excited at the moment in in business? You know, I see you do some like property coaching stuff and yeah, that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, so um, I've got a huge sales background, and I've looked in the UK, and I can't really find a, a really shit hot sales trainer. Um, so I'm I'm launching a couple of sales courses, which will be for property investors because it's all sales, negotiating a deal, negotiating discount, negotiating with builders. It's all salesy stuff. So I'm getting really excited about building a sales course and doing sales training for for various types different types of businesses across the country. So I'm building that up because sales is all I've done since I was 19. You know, I'm really passionate about it. I love it, and I think there's a gap in the market for that. Because persuasion, negotiation, salesy stuff, there's not many people shouting about that and teaching people about that. So I'm doing some one-to-one -one coaching with businesses already on property and business and then some sales courses I'm really looking forward to doing because um, I know I can add value in that and there's not many people doing it. So That's good. Yeah, that's right. Great. There's quite a lot of Americans sales coaches, but no, no one really in the UK that that's, that's uh, you can see that's dominating that space. Definitely, there's a lot of Grant Cardone and Alex Hormoz. He's just kicking off massively, isn't he, at the minute? Uh, it, it was amazing. And and yeah, I can't really find any UK people mm. um, doing it. So so that's definitely one of my focuses at the moment. Because once I love it, took us good money, and there's a, there's a gap. Yeah. Like so, all the signs are there for me to to put some energy and money and t time into it. Um, so you think sure. about sales, right? I've never really regarded my, myself as a good sort of salesman, like, but I think it's kind of naturally come to me sales through just being able to communicate decently with mm. people. So being a good communicator must be a big part to play, eh? With obviously, you know, I, I, I don't think that I'm a good salesman in terms of like, I can do like cold selling, like phoning up like 100 people and all that, getting the phone put down on me. No way, I can't do that. It's not me. <laughs> 
but naturally I've just built the business through organic kind of referrals and through my social media and all the rest of it I think people have just kind of trusted in what I do so yeah mm. I guess there's a lot of different types of sales isn't there what would you say has worked for you you're you're spot on there because a lot of people think sales is like the the pinstripe suit double glazing salesman who comes to your door and who's dead pushy or the car salesman who's dead pushy right that's one type of sales it's it's a bit old now it doesn't really work um but just being good at communicating being likable smiling good eye contact body language being likable communicating on their level giving them honest advice using integrity that that's still sales whether you're selling yourself on social media, you're, you guys are selling to people why they should listen to this podcast based on your marketing. Selling people why you should manage the, their properties is the letting agency. Selling to builders why they should do it for this price and not that price. Or selling to them why they should finish it in six weeks instead of eight. Or selling to the estate agent why they should sell you that property below market value. It's, it's all sales, knowingly or not knowingly. And, and some people just don't, I don't, some people I remember don't think understand how valuable it is. If you get good at communicating and being likable, how much you can actually get, how much progress you can make, how how much further you can get ahead from people, just by being good and likable and communicating well, it's it's a massive valuable skill. What's the difference between sales and marketing, would you say? Like how do you define the two? Um, how I look at them is marketing is is how you put yourself out there, how you are portrayed to be. That's your social media adverts, your banners, your signs, your logo, all of that. You can go down paid ads, which is kind of marketing as well, but sales is then how it's positioned and how it's closed. But to be honest, the two blend together. A lot of people think they're completely, like you'll have a head of market and head of sales. They should really, for me, be working together because in this day and age, you can put a, you can put a social media advert out where there's no human element. There's a data capture form, they put the bank details. So then the market and the, and the sale is is one. So it depends on obviously what you're selling and the industry that you're in. But I think both of them are massively important. And I think if you master both of them, like the world's your, your oyster, you, you, can, you can go to whichever level you want, want to go to. And in every business, at every point, sales is happening. Without sales, that's the blood of a business, isn't it? Like, your business is screwed if you're not selling your product or service. Um, for sure. What do you think were the main uh, contributors to your success then when you're when you're building your your businesses, like you said about your was it insurance broker, mortgage broker, your your kind of yeah. first really successful business? You know what what do you put that that success down to in terms of like you know what do you bring? You know that that makes that successful. Um, I I think a few things. I think a one. One big thing, I don't know if you've read this book called The Purple Cow by Seth Godin. I don't know if you've read that. It's about like, the book is like, use an analogy of if you drive into your friend's house and you drive past a, a field full of cows, you don't get to your friend's house and say, I guess what, I've just seen loads of cows. But if you've seen a purple cow in the field, you would tell your friend you've seen a purple cow. So that, that, story, that analogy is about, there's loads of other life insurance brokers and mortgage brokers like my old business but you have to be different and stand out in order for people to tell the friends, in order for word of mouth and referrals to start to go, you've got to be different. So we were very different in terms of we were younger, more energetic. I had 120 sales staff in the end. Um, yeah. All of them had never done sales before. Um, all completely fresh that are trained from scratch. 
So they had no bad habits. They'd done it the way that I wanted them to do it. So there was definitely the youth, the energy, the way we've done social media, the speed that we've done everything at. So a lot of the old financial advisors done two hour long appointments, sitting on people's sofas in a pinstripe suit with coffee breath. Whereas we done it with like 15 minute appointments, bang, 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 done. Because yeah. people don't want them appointments no more. Um, and yeah, I think just the, the energy in the, we've done loads of training. We did sales training three times a week, every week. We've done motivational Mondays, check-in Wednesdays, feel good Fridays every week. And that was relentless for nine years in the time I was running it. Um, so they were highly trained as well. And they were sharp as a tack that majority of the sales team were, were really, really sharp. You almost built and created that culture within your, your sales team, within your business. Yeah, culture was one of the, the things that were commented on probably the most is like how have I created this team of people that were like friends, almost like, and that's cheesy, but like they used to say they were a family and all of that. We used to call them the bespokers. It was bespoke financial. We used to call them the bespokers. Everyone used to get on it, work and outside of work, we used to do loads of stuff, go on the drink together, go out together and all of that. So it did create a great culture where everyone still had fun and had a laugh, but they also wanted to work and everyone was paid well. At so, the end um, of it, were you actually actively looking to sell that? Did you reach a stage where you was like, I want to sell this? Or did you get approached? Or how did that how did that decision come about in the end? A little bit, a little bit of both. So we kind of approached them, we were thinking about it at the time. Um, and it was it was very much the right time for me to do it, um, for sure. Because if you asked us at the start, I would have never sold it. Someone offered us 20 million, I would have said no, I just loved it that much. Mm-hmm. With time, you grow, you change. Uh, the market grows and changed, and and I sold it like three months before that mini budget when the rates went mental. So I looked like a bit of a genius, but it wasn't intentional. It was going on for like a year and a bit. The, the process. So, so what? How does life look for you at the moment, then, Terry? What's your kind of day to day? So I've got four kids as well, oh. just to make me life a little bit, just to make me life a little, a little bit harder. Um, so a lot of it's taken up by the, the kids. Um. But yeah, I still I still train four times a week. Big believer in the first thing that you should do in your or the first thing you should put in your diary is time for you. Because I couldn't be a good leader, a good businessman, a good partner, a good parent if I was if I didn't feel good. So I always go to the gym. That's the first thing I do most days. Five a.m. I well, until the youngest child's one. So up until he was born, then, yeah, it was 5 a.m. But now, like, it's 5 a.m. for a different reason. Yeah. Um, so I, I traded about half eight this morning. Um, but, yeah, so exercise most days, do some sort of reading, self-development, audio, podcast, something like that every single day because I, I believe it just helps my body. Who are you into at the moment? Who are you listening to just now? Who are you liking listening to? Alex Hormozzi. So he done that hundred million dollar offers, and he's just brought out hundred million dollar leads. So I'm reading that at the minute because that's a salesy salesy one. Love Grant Cardone. I like um I like loads of different podcasts, but I like podcasts that aren't just about property or just about business. I like stuff that's about like fitness or health or mindsets. You know, some quite different ones. I like all of that. But like I I think I was listening to self development before it was like cool. You know how now it's like everybody listens to it and it's dead cool. Like I remember getting Brian Tracy CDs and putting them in the car when I was 21. And I like thought I uncovered something no one else knew about. I was like, I don't want to tell anybody about this CD because it's that good. The I was cassette like, tapes. 
yeah, yeah. And, um, it's, not, it's not that old, Nick. <laughs> uh, that's it. That's it. Well, that's my era. Yeah, you're probably. He must be a hundred. Him. He must be a hundred years old. Him. He must be. Have you seen him on the videos? He's aging, but his content is unreal. Like salesy stuff, goal setting stuff, target stuff. The stuff that he says, eat that frog, and all that. Great. So, um, so uh, to go back to the the question, I do some self development every day because it just keeps me sharp, and then. Every single week I have Mondays is my meetings day. So Mondays is when I plan for the week. So I speak with all my senior staff in each of the businesses. What's the plan for the week ahead? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Why does this happen? Why don't you do this? Do that with, so I have four or five meetings on the on the Monday to plan for the week ahead. We'll have a check-in on Wednesday, which is just a 10-minute phone call. How are you getting on? Have you managed to do this or that? And then Fridays we'll have a checkout. Um, I do coaching most Tuesdays, a little bit to Wednesdays. Thursdays just mainly property or is that on the sales sort of business side? It's it's both. It's both, both. yeah. Um, Yeah, so I I coach 12 people one-on-one and it's probably about half and half, half business and sales, half property. Um, And then I fill the rest of my week with whatever's going on at the time. I am ultra structured, use a Google diary, Literally every half an hour to 15 minutes sometimes blocks is accounted for. No real gaps. I'm, I am really efficient. Like, if my missus rings us during the day, I don't answer. And I said to her, if it's urgent, right, ring us twice in a row, right? If it's urgent twice in a row, so I know it's urgent, but if it's just ah, once. That's a, a good what, one. What are, for, what are you having for tea? What are you up to? I'm, I'm busy. Uh, I mean, that's my that's my role with my missus as well. Like I know if I get two missed calls, I know that I've got to phone that one back. If it's just one missed call, you're getting ignored. <laughs> yeah, but but that's the way you've got to do. You've got to like when I'm at work, I'm at work, yeah. and when I'm at home, or like when me and the missus are out, I I don't work. How how do you how do you just define that? Because I mean, you you know, you sound like you're very much like myself and Nick, busy family life, busy business. As as a self employed guy, you never really switch off. You're always at the mercy, something going on in your head or someone want to get a hold of you. How do you how yeah. do you kind of separate them and how do you kind of define those uh, roles to be present in, I suppose? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely hard. Let's be honest. It's definitely hard. And I think most blokes in business have had a time where the missus is like, well, you put your phone down. Like, uh, uh, most people have had that. Um, but like nearly every, not I'm not going to lie, not every Tuesday, but most Tuesdays we do something on a night time, just me and her, once the kids are in bed, even if it's just having tea together at the table, like away from screens, like we'll try and do that. And then I never work weekends. I haven't worked weekends for a good five, six years. I used to work seven days before that, but I don't really work weekends. So I have that time with her and with the family on the weekends. But it is difficult, like when it's eight o'clock at night and you, you know, you're watching TV or whatever, you're chilling and your phone's ping, 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 ping. It is hard. Um, but we just try, like, because she's in business as well. She's got an estate agent and a letting agent, and she does property. We both just try to put our phones away from us when when we're chilling. Is it is it good having a a partner that's also in business? Does does she get is she more understanding, or is it is yeah, it, it like something? Yeah. Both of us are so busy. Yeah, me me previous partners before Louise were like, stop working, stop buying properties. Why do you need more properties? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Whereas she completely gets it, which is amazing because I'm not yeah. being held back. And that, I think that's, I put a post on Instagram the other day about this and loads of people messaged us. I put like, picking your partner has got to be the most important decision you make because if you're making millions at work and you come back to shit in the house and you come back to chaos, it takes the shine off it. 
-hmm. and if if the wrong person's holding you back or tries to divorce you and take your money it's it's quite a costly it's quite a costly thing to get wrong so i think having the right support at home is massive I think um, going back to that about the being on the phone and that when you're around your family, what I struggle with because I've tried to listen to all these books and podcasts. This, you know, they say leave your phone in the car or in a drawer or something like that. I actually get more anxious when I've not got my phone on me. <laughs> so, like, because of the nature of the job that I do, you know, I'm always thinking, oh, what if there's an emergency leak or something's happened or do you know what I mean? Like, a property's on fire. Like, we had a fire at the weekend in a block and uh, the whole building was gutted one guy actually died in it luckily not our tenant but yeah stuff like that if I'm not by my phone I get super anxious thinking about what's happening when I'm not actually receiving the calls the text so yeah but you've got to definitely strike a balance for sure definitely I mean I get that have you ever lost your phone you know when you don't know where your phone is it's, yeah. it's a horrible feeling that you're like oh where's my phone and you can't settle until you find your phone and I think because we're all addicted to them things, unfortunately, we're addicted to technology and the dopamine you get, the dopamine hit you get when you get a notification that you, so you must look at it. I think we're all addicted to that. Um, but I just, I, I, I try and value my relationship first. And, you know, there's not many text messages or emails that are so urgent that you have to drop what you're doing, but we all still do it. We all still look. Whether it's yeah, I, I, we went uh, a couple of weekends ago. We went up to this place called Lockhart, and there was like no phone signal at all, like totally nothing, no bars, no internet, nothing. And we went kayaking in the lock, and it was we're probably out for about four hours or something like that. And I had a couple of thoughts went through my head. Then at the end of the day, when I got back into signal, oh, I just got these pings, bing, 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 bing. But like none of them were like important and I was like ah, wow I survived like four hours without my phone it was quite an achievement <laughs> and nothing happened do you know what I mean so I was like ah, that's I felt good after that uh so yeah but Terry it was absolutely brilliant sorry you were going to say something there sorry I was, I was just about to say that um I think there's definitely something to be said for having a digital detox and I think I've I haven't actually done it but the concept of it sounds great like actually i mean when i'm on holiday i do i do switch off more but like i'd quite i quite like the idea of just having like even two days just with no phone being out in nature being somewhere and i think i think more and more people are going to start to do that with time because them things take out over our life don't they they really do and i think sometimes just refresh and recharge and that's why the gym i love the gym because when i'm at the gym i'm not i'm not texting i'm not i'm not got my music in and I'm away from it yeah. and I feel great after it and that's partly because it's exercise but I do think digital detoxes certainly for high performance entrepreneurs I think I think you need it man um so that's something I I for sure interesting Terry it's been really fascinating uh talking to you um obviously I would say uh, I'll anybody like go and follow Terry on Instagram where is it mainly you are focused on or yeah, I'm, I'm on pretty much everything, but Instagram's Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, YouTube, podcast, Amazon, wherever you. I, I mean, nice yeah. mate. We'll link uh, we'll link the details off your your socials on the the show notes. And if you're, if you're looking to connect with anybody in particular, like where would you, in terms of pushing your own business, where would you like to kind of, you know, direct yes. in terms of what you're trying to bring in? 
Yes, I mean, anybody who's involved in sales or wants to increase the sales in any business that they're involved in, you know, I'd love to have a chat with you. Sales course coming out in September this year, 23. Um, yeah, yeah, more than happy. But just follow us and you'll see what I'm about. And um, yeah, that's it, really. All right, mate. Thanks yeah. a lot for that. Appreciate your time. Oh, thanks. thank you. Thanks, thanks for